Now, live from the Blind Ninja Studios in Western Wisconsin, a show with no purpose. Hosted by experts at drinking, and they're almost definitely wearing pants. It's time for the Department of Offense. I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. I will travel across the land, searching far and wide. Each Pokemon to understand the power that's inside. Pokemon! Pokemon! (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, welcome to episode 367 of the Rubber Defense. I'm your host, Casey. Join me as always is Carlos. I'm also here. And nobody else, which is why we had that intro. Just us and the beers we had earlier. But before we get too deep here... I want to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Bell patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornson, Tyler Romanski, Hoffman Barrel Brewing, Brian Jones, Devin Simpson, Phil Feldman, Dakota West, and the fact that it's also recording. That is fantastic. Uh, if you become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash blind studios and become a patron today, or head over to blindnewstudios.com, click on the patron link at the bottom of our homepage, and do that. Carlos, you were telling me something about how our patrons could catch them all? Well, I mean, they're good at catching them all, but I mean, they're also not into cockfights, except if it's with their penises, which are giant. So you're saying all of our black belt patrons have big dicks? But that's not what I was. Uh, what, but that wasn't really. That was just oh, like a side that, that, thing. That, that, that's an that aside. Okay. A, that okay, was just okay. a, a side that wasn't really. I, I I wasn't planning on bringing that up, but I mean, but I, what I did want to bring up though was that uh, how familiar are you with archaeology? Oh, well, um, I have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark at least 15 times. So I, I, and I've played all of the Tomb Raider games uh, multiple times. So I'm pretty sure you could uh, just give me a doctorate right now from Oxford. So I got to tell you right now, Casey, that none of that is at all true. That's not true. Pop culture, that's, like, that's like, our, like archaeology is not like that at all, except for our patron members, it turns out. Like, they've actually all had life experiences that have lined up pretty spot on with what happened with Indiana Jones. <gasps> so, you're saying all I need to do to be a Tomb Raider like Indiana Jones is to become a black belt patron? No, what I'm saying is all you have to be to inspire Tomb Raider is to be a patron. A patron. A patron. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, if you would like to be a grave robber like uh, Indiana Jones, head on to <laughs> patreon.com slash studios and join today. We can uh, guarantee that probably some of the local government will not prosecute you. You know, if you're out of like their jurisdiction by the time they figure out something that happened, you're safe. You're good. I guarantee I, I can give you a personal guarantee that if you rob a tomb in South America, Liechtenstein's government will not prosecute you. It's good to know. Yeah. Well, fact a little factoid out there for our And listeners. if they do, feel free to sue me because I honestly just want to know about this and I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, my friend, my colleague, 
Uh, what have you been up to in the past week? Oh, you know, not much. I mean, besides binge-watching the entirety of Star Trek's Lower Decks. I mean, that sounds like the poop deck to me. Well, it's uh, they got a lot of shitty jobs, that's for sure. Ho, ho, ho. But Are we part of the marketing department now? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But uh, so I watched. So there's two seasons out that like the second season just wrapped up and I hadn't seen any of it. So I watched all of it over a course of two days. And so that's like 20 episodes. And it was fantastic. I had a blast watching that show. And uh, it was like I, all these like little in jokes that like I'm aware of is like, oh, I get that. I get that. They had a uh, I can't remember who. Uh, there was a I can't remember the name of the uh, the actor who was in the uh, reanimator and all this other stuff, but uh, he he's who he was on he, that actor was on multiple episodes of Star Trek and he came back for a voice. Uh, first season finished off with uh, Riker and Deanna Troy. Uh, I mean, coming back like reprising people. their characters. They sound very white. I mean, they were. <laughs> that's that's next generation. Like, do you do? You, are you not aware of William T. Riker, Diana Troy? Oh, I was Star not. Trek Next Generation was not. Wow, that's. I don't know what to say. I grew up with that show, so I. Uh, so my mom was a really big Star Trek fan, All right? Um, and I was a, I was introduced to. Uh, oh God, it's not. What's what's the one after Next Gen? Deep Space Nine. I was introduced to Deep Space Nine, and then my mom loved Voyager. So growing up in the the mid to late 90s, we watched a lot of Voyager. So I didn't realize until I, I started listening to a podcast that was covering Star Trek, Next Generation started before I was born. Yes. I thought it started like, oh, early 90s. No, 88. Yeah. That blew my mind. Well, and DS9 was only lasted for like two or three years, right? It was like four or five. They got four or five seasons. Wait, uh, so, all right, so when did Next Gen run to? 96, 97? Oh, wow, that late. I thought Voyager was like 99 to... No. No, uh, that would have... That's closer to Enterprise's runtime. Enterprise was very early 2000s. I think Voyager might have run right up to that point. Wait, what? Wait, wait. What's the difference between Voyager? Wait, which one's Enterprise? Enterprise is the one set before the original Star Trek series. No, that one's no. Hang on. Yeah, that's Enterprise. With the guy from uh oh shoot, what was the time travel show? No, no, I know, I know, but like no, Voyager was way before. Uh, Voyager yeah. started in '95. Voyager started in '95. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh. Yeah, because Kate Mulgrew as uh, Captain Janeway, like, that, yeah, that was 95. Like, Enterprise, that one is super new. Enterprise didn't start until the 2010s. No, no, it did not start in 2010s. Star Trek Enterprise. Okay, 2001. Yeah. It was Scott Bakula. Yeah, that, yeah, Scott Bakula from, what was the time travel show he was on? Uh, the... Are you, are, you, are you trying to remember Quantum Leap? Quantum fucking Leap. You mean the greatest time travel show that there was, except for Journeyman in 2007, which only ran for a season because of the writer's strike, and I'm really mad about that? Yes, except I don't think I saw Journeyman. Well, it only ran for half a season. 
Also, uh, there's the there's the show. Uh, Life on Mars. No, no, it's not Timeline. Um, oh God, it 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 came out. Timeless. All right. Uh, fucking fantastic. Uh, ran for two seasons and a half. Uh, and it's all on Hulu right now. And if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. Uh, Malcolm Barrett's in it, and he's the best. No, but like uh, the one with Scott Bakula and uh, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. I grew um, up watching that, like along with Next Generation. Yeah, well, so Scott Bakula also showed up in Chuck as Chuck's dad. I forgot about that. Yeah, yep. he did. No, Scott Bakula is great. Scott Bakula should never stop acting. Also, Scott Bakula, if you'd like to be on the podcast, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we can find one that'll fit you. Actually, we would love to have you on tabletop theater as just playing a character. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I, w- I really want to take Joe Magnello's like, celebrity D&D and make it better. Yep, we got that much pull, guys. Listeners, just believe in that. And if everybody believes that... And Lando doesn't destroy the studio by that time. I mean, Lando just brought LeBron James down to the studio. Yeah, he's got a LeBron James chew toy, which is an odd choice for them to do for the, uh, the uh, I was about to say Suicide Squad movie, but that's not what that was. All right, well, guys, uh, you might hear some squeaking throughout this episode because he's way too far for me to take that from him. Yeah, and, until Lando brings it over to us and I can just be a dick and hide his toy from him. He usually doesn't take his toys from upstairs. Oh, no, he usually goes if he does not have a toy available. Anyway, so what else have you been up to? Not too much. I started playing a game that was inspired by... Take the toy. I will, but I got to be annoying to him first, and then he'll drop it and then have it far enough out of reach of his mouth that I can take it. Anyway, continue. But I started playing a game inspired by Might and Magic called Heroes Hour, that is, uh, it's on Steam yet, but it's on itchio.com, and it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, uh, I've been enjoying that, except for the fact that I'm very bad at it. Uh, so my army of, uh, of Hydras got absolutely annihilated because I had uh, previously gave them all up, and then the AI uh, came in and killed them all. But it's a fun game. But that's, that's really all I've been up to besides work. Oh, wow. No, but uh, but I do highly recommend Lower Decks. Like, if you uh, the, like, even if you only have like a low level of Star Trek knowledge, really recommend it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's like uh, Rick and Morty, like kind of humor, except toned down a lot, and you get a Star Trek plot, and like it's so it's not super stupid, but there's a lot of stupid stuff in there. Because, oh, absolutely, because it's inspired by all these like weird like details from Star Trek that make no sense to anybody, but they use it as plot points. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, actually a brilliant show. I enjoyed both That's seasons. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to third. Um, I uh, recently realized that the second half of the new Leverage season was out, so I started watching that. Um, I'm on the final episode, but I haven't watched it yet because we went to go get lunch, and lunch turned into four and a half hours of hanging out. Yeah, which was really nice. Um, let's see. Uh, this week. Um, actually, this week has kind of been dominated by 
uh, Rick and I creating or working on uh, plans to make a BNS Mead Hall, essentially. Yep, and I understand that he was very sober when he was operating a chainsaw. I'm not going to say otherwise because that could be incriminating. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so which is why I wanted to make, put it on record that he was very sober while operating a chainsaw. And I can't say otherwise because otherwise that would be incriminating. Yep. And I wasn't there. Exactly. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so we, we, we started building our practice uh, longhouse. So uh, for those of you, you who don't have know. Have you talked about this on the show at all? I don't think we have. Uh, because I wanted to see if it was actually going to happen. And now it definitely seems like it's going yeah. to because we spent a lot of work this weekend making it happen. Um, so we are going to build a Viking longhouse and turn it into a mead hall where we can have feasts and parties and that kind of thing. Um, but we're starting with the bunkhouse uh, or brewery, depending on who you want to ask. It's going to be a bunkhouse. Um, no, it would be insane to try to brewery there. Well, I mean, I kind of want to Impossible. It's not impossible. L- almost literally impossible. It's not. To make a Nordic-style brewery down there? Hmm. Historically accurate? Yeah, it wouldn't be. All right. Uh, the only problem is... I've, I've, I've thought about this. This is a homebrew bound discussion right. that I want to have. Um, but anyway... Um, so we, we started building the first one. Uh, so our initial building is, uh, 10 by 12. Um, and it has a 13 foot roof by accident. (laughs) Uh, but we realized that we want to make like, that's, it's a really good height because everybody can walk in. Like even I could walk. So we, we made it where multiple Gordons could hang from the rafters and it would be fine. That's a scary thought right there. Multiple Gordons hanging from a bunch of rafters. I feel like that's a horror movie somewhere. It might be. But they were like, if if Gordon can do pull-ups on these bars, then we've we've made it okay. If Gordon can do a pull-up, I'd be scared. I think Gordon has the upper body strength to do a pull-up. But he's like he's tall. He's big, but he's also and he's also tall, and that would scare me if he could actually pull that off. A pull-up. Just anywhere? Yeah. Why is his height the, the issue? Because, look, adding some extra height makes it harder. Like, even when I was fit, I could do a single pull-up. I would, I like, just the thought of trying to do you, that. The height doesn't have anything to do with your pull-up oh, power. it does. It no, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, you no. Extra, you got extra length to put some weight on. No, it's just weight. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's just weight. It's literally just wait, Carlos. Well, if Gordon could do that, I'd be scared. Okay. Well, anyway, we're like, okay, so here's the things that we want. We want Carlos not to bump his head on things. Fair point. And we, and we want Gordon not to break everything. Also fair. Yeah, so. Or Gordon to bump into something, knock the entire thing down, and then everybody dies. Well, yeah, we don't want that either. No, no. No. Uh, there's uh, there's somebody, there's a child being stolen on An your phone Amber right alert now. or a silver alert? Amber. Oh, well, there's there's a silver alert. Too. I know, but that one was an amber. Do they have different tones? Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. Everybody just learned something. That one was an amber alert. Also, I saw it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so we uh, we 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 built our uh, our pre- or we built the framing for our practice uh, longhouse. 
Which was, I mean, it, we we learned a lot um, with just the framing. And it was ten by twelve. Uh, ten by twelve, and the, so it's more of a square house than a long house. Yeah, it's, it's more of a cabin than anything. Yeah. If I'm being completely honest, well, the other one's gonna be eighteen by thirty. So, yeah. Um, and that one's also gonna like we're gonna have six inches of riser, and we're gonna like floor it. This one's just gonna be have a dirt floor. Uh, the other one's like we're gonna build it up, but like we're also gonna have like a big long fire pit in the middle where we can cook stuff, and it's a whole thing. Wait, a fire pit in the middle? I thought that would be where you put like a table. No, no. So because we're so we, I, I, I made multiple plans. Um, my favorite plan one was it was uh, thirty feet wide and sixty feet long. <laughs> That sounds insane to try to pull off. Oh, absolutely. It didn't make any sense, but it was my favorite one. And then we'd have two big feasting tables along each side. You would need people who have construction experience to help you with that. You That's not a, a two-man project. I know. That's why we didn't do that one. <laughs> I'm just saying I made plans for it. I mean, don't get me wrong. That'd be cool. Honestly, the, the, 18, by thir- the, the 18 by 30, like... If we pull it off the way we want to pull it off, you walk in and you'll be like, oh, shit. Uh, but we, no, so we couldn't fit full, we can't fit full um, tables in there. So what we're going to do is we're going to do half tables on each side, right? So there's a long bar with benches um, looking in on either side. And there's like the, like the big long pit in the middle. And so uh, we should be able to fit at the tables, uh, 20, 20, 25 people comfortably. All right. And then, like, and then we can do, like, so we can cook all the food, like, over the pits in the middle. And uh, so are you going to, if you're going to have long fires, that change how you're going to treat, like, uh, the smoke escape? Yep. Yeah. So uh, because there's not going to be any wind, um, on the top is going to be, like, one giant, like, 20-foot chimney. Um, and so we're going to have, like, another, like, little structure at the top. We'll have photos and stuff as, like, things kind of progress. You guys will see it. Yeah, It'll you be guys, really cool. You guys should follow along with the Blind Ninja Studios Instagram. Is that a thing? There is a Blind Ninja Studios Instagram at Blind Ninja Studios. Follow along with that up until one of them dies from this construction project. Right. Um, also, uh, becoming a patron. Uh, and just, actually, you don't even have to become a patron. Just uh, talk to us, and we'll probably invite you out because it's fucking dope, and why not? We, uh, we, we're just, like, I, I kind of realized this uh, when we had Devin out that we just like to meet people and hang out with them. Yeah. That's just kind of what it is. So if anybody ever wants to come out and, like, hang out with us, you're absolutely fucking welcome. <laughs> you probably won't plan out your your as much as like when Devin came out. There is that, but yeah, everybody's different. Um, besides that, I went and saw the new James Bond movie, which was really cool, and we'll talk about a little bit about that later. Um, and I think that's about it for right. this past week. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're only 20 minutes in, so. We're only 20 minutes in. So what time is it now, then? Well, Carlos, I'm glad that you asked.
the next quarter mile. All right, so it is time for the next quarter mile. Um, and I actually wrote my 10-second car, but then uh, I forgot about it. So I'm going to have to do that on the fly. But more importantly, we need to do the plot in 60 seconds. So let's just give a quick, just to give, let everybody understand, because there's some newcomer. That what is uh, this? Uh, what is the segment about? Like, what is this? Uh, we're talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise, right? We sure are. And uh, specifically, the plot. So we're going through a uh, quarter mile at a time, as in a quarter of a movie at a time, through the entire Fast and the Furious uh, franchise. Currently, we just finished. Uh, too, uh, not too fast to furious. We just finished up uh, the uh, Tokyo Drift, which is the third movie in the franchise. So we and well, we didn't finish the entire movie up though. We're three quarters of the way through that movie. So we I'm, are, and uh, we're our next. Our, this, we're going to start this off with plot in sixty seconds, which is where we give the entire plot of Fast and the Furious from up to this point. The entire franchise up the to the entire franchise up, up to, to three point. movie three point seven five in one minute. All right. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it's two point seven five movies in one minute. Well, I wrote that down wrong. You sure did. <laughs> All right. All right. You Are you ready? Down? Three, two, one. Bad cop Brian is eating tuna fish sandwiches and macking on Dom's sister. After a fight, he races Dom and loses his car, but saves him from the cops. But bad cop Brian's an undercover cop trying to take Dom's gang down. After saying Dom saving Dom's gang from uh, their uh, failed attempt to fit, steal some TV VCR combos, uh, he lets Dom get away. But... Now, bad cop Brian is not a cop and is racing in Miami. The feds pull him into 30 seconds. taking on Farone. With the help of Hungry Roman, he takes Farone down by crashing a boat in with a car. Now we have a crappy racer and alleged teenager, Sean, wrecking a, uh, a, uh, a shirt and bashing into uh, to better. He's banished Tokyo to better his behavior. He immediately Ten. picks fights with Yakuza and wrecks Han's car. Sean learns the art of drifting through a montage and only Han to explode uh, recently and the girl to be taken away. And I got everything I want, cared about. Well, you, you missed the entire last quarter. Uh, Han exploded and girl got taken away. Oh, there is that. There is that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get very crazy. Like, uh, this is already squeezing a all lot. Right. Well, so, all right. So here, here, here's what I have uh, for my 10-second car. All right. Han is fucking the Yakuza. Not Brian sucks. Han explodes. Yeah. Yeah. Han does explode. <laughs> <laughs> so the 10-second car is where we, uh, discuss, we go over the quarter of the movie that we did see and describe it in... Ten words or less, and that was what that just was. Uh, so, all right, all right, I got this restarted. All right, um, sorry I didn't ring the bell. Oh well, that bell you just pressed the button on made no so sound there. Well, so. That's because I was holding onto it. There we it go. It can make noises. Anyway, anywho, I I'm actually uh, so we we had this conversation at lunch earlier. You are not enjoying this film nearly as much as you enjoyed Fast and the Furious 2. 
That's a loaded question there. So I'm just going to point out that um, that and first I, quarter of the movie of Too Fast, Too Furious, the rest of it was pretty tra- pretty trash. Yep. And that I, first quarter I, was fucking so fantastic. So I, I, made, I made the argument that this movie really pucks, picks up in the second half. And seeing this first quarter, do you agree or disagree? Well, I mean, this third quarter. A lot, of, a lot more things happened. <sighs> Not a lot of connected things happen, actually. Like, a lot of the things that we do see happen, it's, it's almost like this entire third quarter was a montage that then they decided to stretch out into a, a quarter of the movie. To be fair, you were playing with a dog for a lot of it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let, let, let's take a look. What just happened here? Uh, all right, so I looked at my note, and I don't understand what that means. <laughs> Oh, it was a uh, uh, Han and Sean have a heart to heart. I I only put one heart there, and I put the other one was an H. That made it hard for me to decipher. My yeah, yeah, well, so that that that, that was the end of uh, last yeah, last quarter and the beginning of this one. They were in the middle of having the heart to heart on the rooftop on the uh, the uh, Quidditch match. Yep, or whatever they're doing. And then Han does a, that was Quidditch that they were playing. Yep, right? it was definitely Quidditch. All right. And then Han does a burnout around two ladies in a in a, a fast car and gets their number. He does fucking a, dope as shit. He goes around the car for about a minute of the movie was spent doing this. It's smooth as fuck. That means it it factors not at all. Uh, so the, yeah, but it was fucking hot. Brian continues his uh, drifting training. I mean, not Brian. Uh, not Brian. Did I say Brian? Yep. <laughs> it's Sean. <laughs> uh, the old dudes are like starting to think that Sean's g- might be getting into it. Yep. Uh, Sean bails on his dad. He's not. He like he didn't show up to his uh, dad's. Place. He moved out. He moved out into the garage of Han. Uh, Sean wins a race. Yeah, against blonde hair guy. Nobody likes blonde hair. Yeah, guy. no, blonde hair guy is losing his mind because he lost the race to Sean. And honestly, if I lost the race to Sean, I would also be losing. He probably my has mind. to commit like seppuku or something like that. Sean is such a low bar. That seems like a yakuza thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's something about a drift crew that you had mentioned. Uh, oh, it's somebody's drift crew. Oh, because. Uh, so Sean was in the car with uh, the girl who and yep. she was driving, and she was drifting along with like seven other people, just synchronized drifting around corners. Yeah, no. Apparently, after high school, you just go drifting. They're still in high school. Up, up a well, no, no. After the day in high school, like okay. they're they're all in high school. Like after the day in high school, you go drifting up a mountain. Yeah, and then we still we keep going on with even more. Montages of uh, of Sean going through, uh, and he went through three, t- three sets of tires. Yeah, which was insane. Also, can we uh, can we just say that I think Sean had maybe five lines of dialogue in this, which makes it the best part of the movie. That is fair. That's a fair like, point. I, so the the less you let Sean talk, the better the movie becomes. It's almost like the main character is bringing the movie down. That's why That's why the true main character of Tokyo Drift is Han. So let's see what else happens. Uh, DK shows up while he's at, while Sean's practicing and punches Sean. Oh, that's right. DK's uncle is like, why, why are you letting Han steal from you? Oh, that happens right after that is that the uncle is looking 
who is like looking over DK sees that there's money being stolen and it's Han. Han is stealing money from the Yakuza, which was not what I was expecting. He literally says it in 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 the fur er, in the second quarter. That he was stealing money from the Yakuza? Yeah. I may have glossed over that part. <laughs> like he literally says uh, I, I it's something to the effect of I deal with him because it brings less he- heat on me, and then I'm running the show. <laughs> oh, so as in Han is running the entire show, and like we get, we we see like a little bit more of this. This Han's running the entire show and is like trying to say like, DK, you wouldn't have what you would have right now if it weren't for me. Yeah, Han doesn't take this well. Uh, I mean, uh, DK doesn't take this well, and there's a dr- drifting race through traffic. Yep. Which is really fucking dope. Like, it's it's really well shot. I really like that race. It might be my favorite race of, this, of the movie, uh, besides uh, what, what we'll see in part four. But it's it, up, up to this point, I think it's my favorite race of the movie. And then Han's car explodes. For no reason. It, it, just, does, it just explodes. It just kind of blows up. And then Sean... Goes to his dad with the girl. And his dad beats people with a wrench. Sean, there was no wrench. He had a gun pointed. Oh, it was a gun. Okay. Sean is like, I need to do this. I need to take responsibility. And then a DK shows up and the girl goes with him to try to take the heat off uh, Sean. And then the last, what we left off was, uh, it was pretty spot on, was the uncle saying, at least you're not repeating my mistakes. Because apparently his dad had a history of pissing off Yakuza. And then not taking responsibility? No, his dad had a history of hookers. That's true. <laughs> that, like, we literally know nothing about the dad. We know nothing. Except he has a almost nothing car in the garage. Well, uh, as the person, uh, as the quote-unquote veteran of these movies, um, I will reassure you that uh, he never comes up after this film. The dad? Yep. Why would the dad come back? I would never expect that. Yeah, well, that's why I'm letting you know he doesn't. Okay. I won't try to remember his backstory of being a dad in Tokyo. I think that brings us to the end of the next quarter mile. I don't it really does. have much to add there. No. That I haven't already. Yeah. Go ahead and grab this church key. And by church key, he means things that open a bottle, and he doesn't have a key to a church. What's the difference? No, I mean, I don't think they lock doors to churches, do they? Nope, they just lock bottles. Yeah. In churches, so the children don't drink them. I doubt that's true at all. That's very true. Uh, All right, so this week, uh, I'm going to pour myself a bit, and then I'll hand it over to you, but... uh, do you want a taster glass, or you got it? No, oh, I got this little tiny mug, so I might as well. It's a very that. tiny mug. We get, we're using uh, the mugs that we had from the pub crawl for uh, the Renaissance Festival. The Renaissance Festival. All right, uh, so going around the table right now is Mirtz from the Funk Factory. Uh, Mirtz is our take on a style of beer traditionally derived from the second runnings of Lambique. Our modern interpretation begins with Pilsner malt, raw wheat, and saws hops, which is brewed using a turbid mash long and a long boil, and fermented in fresh oak uh, folders, 
with our wild yeast prior to bottle conditioning. Um, this is the uh, Mirtz, uh aged on blackberries. They had three different uh, styles um, at the bottle shop, but uh, I figured we'd try this one. And I'm very excited because I haven't had a good uh, traditionally fermented sour in a minute. So tradition. So what does traditionally soured mean? Um, usually it's a wild fermented sour. So it's a sour from uh, using whatever bugs are in the air. Um, on this one, I'm guessing they're using um, an inoculated oak staff from Belgium. Oak staff? Wait. Or stave staff. So wait, do they just take a stick, this like druidic staff that they stick in one pot? All right, now we move it to the next pot. You're more right than I want to admit. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much what it that's is. That's right. They, they basically make a yeast stick. <laughs> Maybe that's what they should be doing instead of uh, using those spruce branches for that other beer. Oh, man. Uh, I get a lot of blackberry and sour, like right on the nose. Oh no, D- getting a lot of sour in the like uh, on the nose. Uh, a little blackberry. Hmm. Ooh, that is funky. Yeah, it's a. It's a. Uh, it's like a. So I've had like like fresh sours before. Yep. This isn't like. The like the fresh sour taste you get like this like it's like just been canned and it's a sour, no. But this is like <sighs> trying to think. Let me take another sip to try. So it. I get so uh, I'm gonna kind of talk through my my taste here. I get almost like a lemon uh, right up front, and then it falls back into more like that barnyard like funk where you get like some of those like. Um, dank or like damp hay uh, flavors, and then there's like this blackberry uh, sweetness that really follows it up. So you get like this, so it starts lemon, and goes into funkiness, and then berries. Uh, like so, if I if uh, I had just eaten like a handful of berries, and the residual taste was on the back of my so tongue. So you're familiar with the Warhead candy, right? Yep. So what, imagine like, the, so this is like, uh, if our listeners, like Warhead candy is like a, a candy that's very sour coating on the outside, and then right once you get past the sourness, it's just sweetness. Mm-hmm. This is like a, this beer, once it gets like it, right in it hits your tongue, it's the sourness, and as it flows back the very front of your tongue, it becomes the sweetness. Oh, absolutely. I'm I, I I'm really enjoying the sour. No, this is a good sour. Uh, Carlos, will you give me a number on it? I just got to rotate this. So this is Mertz. Mertz, uh, it's four and a half percent blackberry. Hang on. Oh, there's something on the back of the bottle I can read. Uh, blackberry Mertz is our take on the style of beer traditionally derived from the second. Uh, yep, no, it just says the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and fermented in French oak photos with our wild yeast. This uh, version was then re-fermented on blackberries for two months prior to bottle conditioning. So I've had a, a lot of different sours. This is this is a very interesting one. Like it, it, it really is honestly one of the best sours I've had. 
is like, very good. Like it's hitting you with like the right. It's not too much sour. It like when you're first drinking it, it hits you with the sour, and then it goes right to sweetness, and then you're done. You just got you're left with some dryness afterwards, and it's that's kind of what I would want from a a, a perfect sour, like yep. an ideal sour. Uh, I'm gonna give this a. You know, I don't think I've ever given a sour this high. I'm gonna give this a nine. So this sour, and this is gonna. I don't know if this sounds as breaky or whatever. Um, this sour reminds me a lot of the sours that I had at Cantillon in uh, Bru- or in uh, in Belgium. Um, and goddamn, this is very good. It's really well done. I have to give it a nine and a half. Like, this is a really fucking good sour. Yeah. I put this right up there with uh, Cantillon or here in the States, Cascade Brewing, which uh, they're out of Portland and they're fantastic. But this has, like, it has complexity to it, which is phenomenal. And for a $15 bottle, like, there's a lot going on here. No, yeah, this is uh, fantastic. Uh, if you're at all interested in sours, I would say check out this beer from uh, from Funk, Funk Factory. Factory in Madison. Yeah. All right. Are you ready, sir? I guess I am. And now the Department of Defense presents News with Casey. That's not me. <laughs> So uh, this week, I have uh, three news stories for us to cover, because while Casey was grabbing a beer, and then once I finished my notes, I just grabbed a couple articles for this uh, show. Yeah, I'm very excited. So, you know, let's kick this off. Uh, let's, 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 you know, keep this, uh, uh, you know, pretty normal. So we're going to kick off with a uh, new penis ring monitors your nighttime erection activity. Wait, what? A new penis ring monitors your nighttime erection activity. But I don't want to know that. So this is going to be, this is a new gadget that is going to go on your dick and monitor your uh, your erections per night. So men usually exper- experience uh, three to five erections per nighttime, lasting about 45 minutes total. And uh, this is going to be tracking that. Because so if our listeners... Or anybody who's not a listener, but for some reason decided to listen to this episode. If you've ever thought, we like, always talk about penis nighttime emissions. Yeah. If you ever, which are also wet dreams. If you've ever at all thought that, you know, I think I, you know, I not only am I a fan of Skynet, I think Skynet needs to know what my penis is doing at night. This is this gadget's for you. I mean, hey, does it track prostate health? It doesn't. Track. Or is that the one that I have to shove up my ass? This does not go up your ass. All right. So yeah, that was uh, that's pretty useful, right? No, is is that the article? That, that's the article. I'm not going to read through the entire thing because I breeze through it pretty quickly. I cover the high points. Okay, so Carlos is reading the headlines. All right. The high po- the, the headlines, a couple lines in the the article, and then I think we're done. Nothing oh, else is so 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 you read articles like my grandma does Facebook. Well, I am tr- I, I threw this list together of three articles very quickly. I gave you at least fifteen minutes. Ten minutes of which were spent putting together sixteen seconds of the <laughs> Fast and Furious franchise. Well spent, I might add. So a uh, 
Here we go. This is one from about in Australia. A man is used his body to f- defend his Toyota Supra from a hailstorm. Why? Why? So this man in Australia who was caught on TikTok. Uh, he his car is a Toyota Supra, which I uh, can't remember which ver- specifically is Australian <laughs> Supra, basically. No. Covered his car with a cardboard over his windshield and most of the car, but then that and a blanket. But that wasn't enough. As this uh, as this hailstorm was coming in, he then covered it with his body. But why? To prevent damage from getting on his car. I thought they had better insurance than we did. <laughs> not car insurance. <laughs> We're all Australia, not Canada. I actually don't know what Australia's uh, insurance is like. Uh, they ha- they have kind of the same uh, health insurance as the rest of the world. All right. No, but there's a full. Uh, and apparently, it was also a long storm, so he was he was guarding his car with his body for a while, just over the hood, hands over it, like trying to. How drunk was he? Well, I mean, we're talking about a Australian guy, not a Florida guy, but they're probably about the same. So, like, pretty drunk. Uh, I can only assume because you're going to be hit by hailstones for a while. You're going to want a little booze in your system. So Australia is basically the Florida of the global stage. I would say Florida is the Florida of the global stage. And then That's not fair to Florida. You're giving them way too much and credit. And Australia sometimes decides to take some inspiration from there. <laughs> I mean, there is that. Uh, but like he, he was a Mark IV Supra, so they're apparently... Uh, Built between 93 and 98. I, as soon as you said Mark IV, I'm uh, just assuming it was made by Tony Stark. It might as well have been uh, a twin turbocharged 3.0 liter straight six known as the 2JZ GTE. We all know what that's about. Wait, hang on. A Toyota Supra is a sports car? This one is. Oh, it? this is a fancy one. Yeah. Wow, this is a fancy Toyota. I just assumed all Toyotas were either Range Rovers or uh, <laughs> or Corollas. No, no, this is a fancy one. I like. I thought I had the fancy Corolla because it had the S on it. My uh, my my Corolla is a Corolla SE, which is the sports edition. That's what the SE stands for. Um, this is way fancier. Yeah, no, this is a fancy car. They start at $43,000? Yeah. That's so many dollars. I, I like Even now, I'm seeing a link to somebody buying a 95 Toyota Supra Turbo for $200,000. You know who would, uh, who would race a Toyota Supra? Is it the city of Ottawa? Uh, no. Because they're in our next story. It, it, it's Brian. Is he a fan? Uh, oh, Cop Brian from the he he really likes foreign imports right. as his racing car, and Dom he likes American Muscle. <laughs> You're talking about Too Fast, Too Furious. No, I'm talking about Fast and the Furious. Oh, I, as I, a franchise, I I default to say Too Fast, Too Furious. I know I don't know why because there's a lot of T's in there and a lot of F's in there. 2F, 2F. It's pretty perfect. It is pretty great. It's, it's pretty perfect as a title goes. It's, it's, it's the best they've ever done. Anywho. So, City of Ottawa is accused of ongoing hate for beavers. I, Carlos, I love beavers. I, 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 I can honestly say I have never met a beaver I didn't like. 
The furry, <laughs> shaved, trimmed, they're all delightful. The city says it spent a uh, hundred thirty thousand on licensed trappers for beavers, muskrat, and raccoons in twenty twenty. Oh, we're talking about completely different beaver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, we, let's see. So, wildlife advocates want the city of Ottawa to stop killing so many beavers when it tries to manage complaints or conflicts between the dam building rodents. As in, uh, when it says dam building rodents, it means D A M, like not the, 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 the rodents. Damn <laughs> them! Damn the dam building rodents and landowners. Like, like the, the, the rodents that build dams. Yep. The Ottawa Carlton Wildlife Center says the city's beaver management strategy could use other, more cost-effective measures such as flow devices and <laughs> beaver deceivers. <laughs> well, you gotta leave it to beaver for that. I've been called the beaver deceiver before. The Wildlife Center President Donna de Perule says the organization has lost its patience with the city after years of advocacy has found little openness to new ideas. I mean, to be fair, my beaver would leave me too if I didn't have enough openness to new ideas. She says, Lando, essentially the city seems addicted to killing beavers. You shouldn't kill beavers. So yeah, it spent uh, 128000 in 2020. And uh, 89000 in 2019 to hire these uh, trappers. But they argue that a full device would be cheaper, costing $2,000 to reduce flooding in the area around a beaver dam. Well, that's good. So, yeah. The city just has an ongoing hate of beavers. It has a, it has a beaver They're war. here, and then they're gone. We want the trapping killing stopped. We want them to consult the experts on the alternative means of dealing with the beaver. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So there we go. That is the news articles for That's the news. All right. That brings us to our discussion topic for today, which I'm actually very excited to talk about. So um, I finally saw the latest James Bond movie, and I shouldn't say I finally saw. Like, it came out literally a week ago, um, and I was able to go see it this week. Um, God damn it, Lando, get out of there. Um, and this was the end of the Craig era of James Bond. Wait, Jenner Craig for, is it 20 years at this point? Uh, his first movie. 18? Er, Casino Royale, I believe, came out in 2006. Casino Royale came out in 2006. I was right. Um, I remember that because I went to see it in the Marcus Cinema. They just started their ultra screen, and myself and Joe Cuddy, and actually you may have been with us for that showing. I might have been for that one. Yep. Uh, yeah, because I remember we all talked about how uh, when he was getting beaten the balls, we all kind of felt it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yep. Uh, eh, funny is not the word I would use, but yeah, 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 funny. Uh, Lando, get out of those cords, bud. Um, yeah, so it it ends the uh, the Craig era, but the Craig era is very interesting as far as James Bond goes because it seems very standalone. Yes, it, it is very standalone. It was it, like there's a lot of inspiration for Born Identity into like how it kicked off. I think there was less shaky cam as they went along. 
Well, yeah, no, after the first or after the first two, they got rid of shaky cam. Um, but I, I would like to know where you think Bond is going to go it, uh, in the future. All right. So this is the thing I, I thought about pretty recently, and uh, I think the the next spot for them to do because they I, I don't think they should do another modern Bond for a while. What do you what do you, what do you mean by modern Bond? I think they need to go back to the seventies. So you think they need to do a period piece Bond? Yes, I, I think that's what they should do next. I, but that's the antithesis of Bond. The, of being in the past, but yeah. it's not, not like not anymore. Like nowadays, like uh, James Bond being in the past is like that's where most of the movies are for us. The past, like all these like uh, Sean Connery movie films, those were decades and decades ago, and like they're, like all, even Pierce Brosnan was the nineties. No, I know, but the the uh, and to, to to bring back the to, to to change the tone from the Daniel Craig series, I think they got to go back in time a bit. But so James Bond has always been a product of his time, and like the 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 interesting thing of James Bond is you can go back and watch any Bond movie and it's a time capsule to the year it came out. Okay. You have the music for when it came out. You have like there's usually like some kind of current event tie-in and there's a gadgetry tie-in that like links back to when it came out. So, uh the the biggest like so lo- looking at this latest one the person who did uh, uh, the the theme song was done by Billie Eilish. Yes, the big uh, one of the big plot points is there's a type of uh, I'm trying not to give any spoilers, but there's a type of um, I guess like disease, right? That's easily uh, contag uh, like contagious, um, and so like. You can go back to any Bond movie and look at the year that it came out and be like, or the like, the years surrounding it and be like, oh, what was what was big around here? the The most interesting thing about the Craig era was that they were trying to tell a continuous story instead of standalone movies. Well, I'm thinking back to the one right after uh, Casino Royale, how uh- Quantum of Solace, which which took place like. Literally seconds after Casino Royale finished. Yeah, seconds after that, but like, how much did it have to do with the plot of Casino Royale? Why are you doing that, Lando? Why no, no, but it, but it was a continuation of it. Yeah, it was like everything in this Craig era has been like a continuation of it. Yeah, no, so like, and that that was the that was the big deviation for the Craig era, and also like it was a hard reboot. And like, I would say that, and I I would say that it's not you don't have to worry about like. Uh, you can get the themes of like the current day, if even if you go back in time a little bit, because like they're like, unfortunately, like things repeat themselves, which is what we've learned. No, I I'm just and I'm, like even for the music taste, like the opening like music that they have for uh, the James Bond movies, like that's not played as like part of like this is something he's listening to the radio. Like, no, no. It's, so like, you it's, say, so like, if you have like, if you decide to like do Bond for the next fifteen years, is like said in the seventies, you would just have to have music that matches that theme for the intros. I I feel like it just it misses the spirit of Bond. All right. Um, 
And so, so for me, what I would like to see is a return to a Bond who is more or less timeless, but also timely, if that makes sense. Where I want a Bond that you can insert into any era and be like, this is Bond. Um, so up until we had Daniel Craig, all of the Bonds were the same person. Yeah. Canonically, like, all of their adventures happened to the same human being. Um, and, like, different actors may have played them, but, like, Bond was a singular character. Until we hit the Daniel Craig era, when we hit the era of sequels and stuff like that. And Bond adapted to go back to that. Um, and unless we're going to get a Bond extended universe... Which we're never going to do because I don't think the Broccoli's want that at all. Also, did you know that like the family that controls Bond, their last name is Broccoli? I do now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the Broccoli's. So Cubby Broccoli was the first producer of Bond. Um, so if we look at that. Um, but we, how, would you, how would you make Bond more timeless? Because, like, honestly... Like, what I've seen of Daniel Craig as James Bond is, like, yeah, it's, it's the modern era, but, I mean, it's James Bond. Like, it's, it's just him. Do- and it's, and it's, it's, in some cases, it's him dealing with the changes of the modern era not being the same. I, I feel like Daniel Craig has been the least James Bond, James Bond we've had since George Lazenby. Wow. Hard take for Casey. I'm just saying, like, he's not... He's not super Bond-esque. He doesn't, he, he, like, he, it comes through. Like, and this, this isn't uh, anything against um, Daniel Craig himself. Like, I think Daniel Craig would be an amazing Bond if he had different writers. And he's suffering from the same issue that late stage Pierce Brosnan had. Where Purvis and Wade suck at writing Bond films. They're just bad. The who? Purvis and Wade. So how? So they've been writing the Bond films lately? They have been writing... Uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade have been writing Bond films since The World Is Not Enough. Which is 1999. All right. So they wrote uh, The World Is Not Enough, which was an okay Bond film, but it was basically um, what if uh, Steve Jobs tried to take over the world and Bond tried to stop him? Um, And they wrote the next Bond film, which is absolutely your favorite. Which one is that? Oh, uh, that would be the one with the invisible car. Yeah, oh. Martin Vanquish. The one that made me go like, what the fuck, Bond? What the fuck? Die another day. Um, but do you know what the else they, they wrote? Did they write Casino Royale? No. Oh. They wrote Johnny English. That sounds about right. Yep. Johnny English, I, I, I didn't ever watch the entire sequel movie. But that first film for Johnny English is pretty fucking perfect. Yep. Uh, they did not write uh, Johnny English Reborn, which was the sequel in 2011. All right. Um, 
Yeah. So Purvis and Wade, uh, they they wrote. Uh, so they wrote those two Bond films, and then they also wrote Skyfall. So they they weren't rehired for um, what is considered Daniel Craig's best Bond outing, uh, Casino Royale, um, and his worst Bond outing, uh, Quantum of Solace. Because those are highs and lows of essentially the same six-hour movie. Look, I've seen a lot of old Bond movies, and I'll, I forget a lot of the plots for them, but Quantum of Solace is the most forgettable Bond movie I've ever seen. Oh, nobody remembers that it exists. <laughs> Um, they they came back for Skyfall, um, and then they were fired again, and then they were brought back for No Time to Die. Oh, after uh, the Danny Boyle script was rejected. All right. So Purvis and Wade are responsible for modern Bond. I will say. Well, for I don't think they're responsible for the original implementation of Daniel Craig Bond. Which I, I understand why they decided to try to do something different with this Daniel Craig Bond. Yep. And like watching the watching like Casino Royale is like I you see enough of like the original James Bond in there to be like, all right, yeah. Daniel no, Craig so, is James Bond. Uh Casino Royale was very interesting. I didn't like it when it first came out, but it grew on me. Yeah. Because it you had elements of I am well aware of your dislike for it when it first came out. Yes, I, I, you, you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it but like it had elements of of Bond, and then so looking at Bond, we were getting James Bond movies every like two to three years, and then all of a sudden we hit the two thousands, and in twenty years we've only had six or four four. Yeah, and. But, like, on the other hand, though, like, how many of the ones from the 90s are memorable? Like, uh, there's Golden All of them. Golden Tomorrow, Eye. And like Tomorrow Never enough. Dies. Tomorrow the World Is Not Enough. World Is Not Enough. But, like, there's, but, like, how many of them do you, like, remember? Like, I remember the plot of Golden Eye for the most. And I remember. Okay, so. What, and I remember the, the, the one I disliked the most, the final one, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies, the one with Steve Jobs. I remember the plot from that. The other ones, like, I remember. Yeah, they're enjoyable. That's, but that's the limit. No, but what? What? Wait. What do you mean? Remember the plot, the storyline, or like what's going on? Like I don't remember most of those things from those movies. All right. And so, what, what's what's the plot for World Is Not Enough? Which one was that one? The with the last one with the uh, the one before Die Another Day, which oh, you hate. Oh, the one for I have no idea. World Is Not Enough is the one with, uh, the Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, but like, like besides, like what you literally have said about the movie so far. Okay, so I mean, so all right, so I I can look at uh, like so the Pierce Brosnan era is my era of Bond. Like that's when I became of age and like became so Goldeneye is and I'm not reading off of a sheet here, uh, so I'm just like reading movie titles. Uh, so Goldeneye is they have there's a space satellite called Goldeneye mm-hmm. um, that is run from a satellite base in Puerto Rico, at least well, it's Cuba, but they're using the set in Puerto Rico, uh, which is the big thing. Um, and then it it basically shoots a big space laser down and murders people. Alec Trevelyan, who is 006, is the mastermind behind everything. Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, that is, we are talking about 
that is uh, probably the best one, uh, the best plot of the Brosnan era, where you have the Steve Jaws Damnon. I'm sorry, World is Not Enough is not that one. World is Not Enough is the nuclear one. Tomorrow Never Dies is he is running a, um, like, a, basically a global newspaper. Like, because the internet was just becoming a thing, so he was online and all that. Um, and he was engineering uh, global disasters in order to uh, sell headlines. <laughs> that is silly. Yep, but not far off from what we would see later in real-world history. Well, normally the, a newspaper wouldn't engineer a disaster so they could write an article about You're it. You're right. Because they don't make enough money. Right. Even if it's a disaster, they exactly. don't make enough money. Um, and he kills the villain by throwing them into a printer and they get squished. Uh, it's delightful. Does it have a bunch of headlines afterwards of just showing, like, bad guy in, is, like, has been, uh, is printing? No, this is a Pierce Brosnan yeah. era, not the Roger Moore era. <laughs> World is Not Enough is, uh, that's the one with Denise Richards. All right. She got big old tits. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> That's kind of the highlight of the movie. Uh, it's not great. Uh, uh, Car- or Electra wants to... Uh, basically, she steals a nuclear submarine with her uh, her boyfriend, who James Bond had previously shot in the face. The guy who can't feel pain. Yep, because James Bond put a bullet in his head. Yeah. Um, and then we go to Die Another Day with the North Korean guy who had diamonds in his face. And Janek engineered himself to look to be white for some reason. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and was working on genetically engineering his bestie to be white as well. Oh, no, I think that guy had to go through it because apparently diamonds in his face is a thing that he had to do, go through. Daily oh, yeah, no, for. no. He was the one with diamonds in his face. Gustav Graves was the one who, yeah, yep. Who, like, made himself white to hide yes. his identity. Um, so we go back to that. Uh, back before then, we have License to Kill. Um, and that's the one with, uh, what's the, what's the actor who talks funny? <laughs> no Shoved idea. a watch up his ass. Walken? Yes. Christopher Walken. License to Kill has Christopher Walken. Um, Timothy, or not Tim, uh, Timothy Dalton shot somebody off of the Golden Gate Bridge. Is very exciting. Hey, I'm walking here. Where Christopher Walken is the big, big bad in that one. Um, Living Daylight, I, I, I mean, we can go on and on. Yeah, this no. doesn't need to keep happening. <laughs> no, but like, uh, so, but like, how would you, but what would you do to bring him into the modern era then? Like, how do you make him timeless? All right. So what I would do is I would get rid of the five movies. Like, so, all right. So Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, No Time to Die. <clears throat> don't exist. Well, oh, you have to do that no matter what. Yeah, well, you, well, especially with how No Time to Die ended, but I don't want to get into yeah. spoilers. Um, we 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 have to completely wipe those off the board. Do you think he finds time to die in the title of the movie? <laughs> we can move on. But I'm just saying the name of the. I haven't seen this movie, but I mean the title of the movie is No Time to Die. I wonder what happens here. Actually, that's it's 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 lampshaded in in the film. How many times did they lampshade it though? Like twice. Only twice. What a bummer. Yeah. Um, so, no. So, what, what you do is you have the new actor who plays 007. So, I, I'm thinking we, we go all the way back 
to Goldfinger. Right, which Goldfinger, if you haven't seen, is the classic Bond movie. Well, you're, was that the 80s for that one? No, Goldfinger was the 60s. All right. 60s, I, I want to say 60s. It, it's the third Bond film. It's the one where they introduce the gadgets. It's the one where they introduce the, uh, like, the, the crazy, um, like, villain henchman. Because Odd Job is the henchman in that one. Um, you have the femme fatale with the insanely like weird name that's very suggestive. Um, and and Goldfinger, it's pussy galore. Yeah. Uh, so like you you have all these elements that make make Bond, and I I feel like you you start bringing those in. So you have you have the through line of Q. So you bring back gadgets. Daniel Craig's Bond never really had gadgets. Very few gadgets going on there. And it was always like, but Bond has gadgets and they solve a thing. And they started bringing that back in Spectre and but No like, Time to but Die. But they're very, but like, more realistic gadgets. You don't watch Bond for grounded gadgets. Like, Casino Royale, his most advanced gadget was the fact that he had, like, something to... He had a defibrillator in his, in his car. Which is very weird that they would decide to pot- toss that in his car. But well, I mean, it's a plot convenience. It was absolutely a plot convenience. All the gadgets are a plot convenience. Yes. Like, that's the point of the gadgets, but they're fun. Like, you have... But, like, the, th- like the reason... The, the, the alligator submarine, or the jetpack, or... No, the, I, but, like, the fact was, though... The like, knife shoe. When I saw Casino Royale, I took that... I really took that, like, pacemaker, and I know at the time you you hated that part. Where, I like, did. I was like, that that was their gadget, and, like... But I that, loved, that really pissed me off. I love that they went with, like, this, like, this, like, advanced pacemaker over an invisible car. Yeah, but you were comparing it to the invisible car. I'm comparing it to, like, the fucking knife shoe. <laughs> a knife shoe is very impractical. Right? But that was a gadget for a movie. It was. Well, and, like, then alligator submarine. And but, so do you think they could do that, though, in the modern era right now? Like, I bring think, back an alligator submarine? So, here, here, here. Because, like, if you if you went back in time to the 70s, and then you start to bring back the weird gadgets, I feel like it'd fit in. And, honestly, these days, like, the way they uh, they use classic rock and movies a lot, I feel like that like that would fit in pretty well. No, so here, here's, here's, here's the thing. Bond always has to be set in the modern era. That's just how Bond works. If you want to go like to other eras, there's other spy movies. Like The Man from Uncle is a great example of that. That was phenomenal, and it's a period piece. But they only did the one movie, which they should have done more because Henry Cavill as is amazingly charming, and like yeah, they should have done like it make, like watching that movie makes you be like, wow, they wasted him on the Batman vs Superman. Movies. Oh well, I mean we can we can talk about that for that's yeah. an entire fucking episode. But Henry Cavill himself. Is amazingly charming. No, but so Bond, in and of him, like Bond as a character has to take place in the modern era because that's the the allure of Bond. He's the modern spy who does the thing. But you also have to have fantastical gadgets, and but and every Bond has their thing. So Sean Connery was a man of his time. 
He was he was like the dinosaur Bond. He was like he was ruthless. He was serious. He was he was that. He was already in his forties when he was playing Bond. Yep. Um, and then we went from Connery to Lazenby, who had one film, and his audition was he punched out the producer, uh, and he got one film. But Lazenby was a ruthless Bond. He was he was a ruthless killer Bond. Then we had uh, we had Roger Moore. Roger Moore was the clown Bond. Yeah, he was he was like quippy with the one liners. He had uh, like he 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 dressed in costumes. He did all these like all these things. He was the clown Bond. We had the Timothy Dalton Bond who. Was he? He was. He was like an in between between the ruthless and the clown bond, right? But he was taken more seriously. And then we hit the uh, we hit the nineties, and we have Pierce Brosnan, who is the quippy bond. Steal himself. Well, he but he, and he's the quippy bond. Yeah. He's not the funny Bond, but he's the quippy Bond. He's the Bond who always has an answer. The Bond one-liner is like, that's your go-to, is yep. that Bond. Uh, yeah. Uh, he he always had the right thing to say. And so and then we hit the 2000s, and film filmmaking changed. And now we have this, this dark, broody Bond. And I maintain Bond shouldn't be dark and broody. Bond is escapism. He's not like he's not a perfect. It's actually thing. it's actually interesting that the twenties, uh, the two thousands uh, Bond is the dark and brooding one. Since when you look at comics, it's the nineties when things got dark and brooding. Nineties uh, things got dark, but they didn't get brooding. Oh, they they were brooding for comics. It was, but for film. No, it not, was, not for film. It, yeah, so for film, it was... So, 2006, we're looking at The Dark Knight. We're looking at the second Bourne movie. We're looking at all of these uh, all of these trends in filmmaking, and Bond, fo- Bond follows them, and they're like, well, we need to do a hard, dark, gritty reboot of Bond. You don't need that. Well, we had, again, I'm going to say, I would say that we did, because I liked Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace is the most forgettable film I've ever seen. Yep. All right. Uh, what do you think about Skyfall? I enjoyed it. What about Spectre? Never saw that one. I, the, 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 uh, Skyfall is the last one I saw. Okay. Skyfall, I will agree with you. Skyfall is probably third on my favorite Bond film list. Um, right. It goes, for me, it is Goldeneye. Goldfinger, Skyfall. But how do you make Bond like have the the fun bring the fun fun Bond back, but still keep his modern era? Oh, well, it's super easy. You make it a standalone film, and you bring in an actor who can convey sincere. Like well, so, it, when it, when when people but, are saying when you, either, say, when you say standalone, though, you mean as long as this guy is Bond. It's gonna just be following him, right? Like because it's gonna be it's only that standalone. Because like if he comes back for a sequel, it's still gonna be following 
plots from that. All right. So we did not. All right. So Dr. No. Yeah. Standalone film. From Russia with Love. Standalone film. Goldfinger. Standalone film. Thunderball. Standalone film. We did not end up with a Bond film that caused an issue. Actually, well, hang on. No, From Russia with Love actually was the first one because his wife dies at the end. And wasn't there, there, there had to be, wasn't there, I can't remember which one it was, where like, wasn't the guy with the blimp in like multiple of them? Blowfield? Which one? Wasn't he a villain? Oh, yeah, no, no, that, that's, uh, that, well, that's because you, you have, you have things a part of Bond canon, mm-hmm. like Blofeld, right? Blofeld was, uh, so like Dr. No was part of Spectre. Um, and so Spectre was the through line and you met Blofeld eventually and like, it was a through line, but they, they didn't mean anything. But, like, at the same time, like, the way we, like, the way movies are made these days is different completely. And to make it completely unattached to everything. Well, I'm not not saying you make it completely unattached. Like, you you maintain some some of the same characters, but you, like, so the, uh, the the first time when they started having a through line... With a bond, with a single bond, was when they was with Casino Royale, where Daniel Craig started playing Bond, and then Quantum of Solace picked up literally seconds after uh, Casino yeah. Royale ended, and then they didn't know what to do with that either, which is why Skyfall takes place way after, and they have to go with this whole thing of like killing Dame Judi Dench, um, and then can we just agree on one thing? No matter what they do in the future, they have to. Keep the same M, even if the bond changes, even if it doesn't make sense. Oh, absolutely. Even if they go back to the 70s, they got to keep the same M. I thought they should have kept the same Q because I would I would love to see what John Cleese did with the modern bond. Yeah, but like John Cleese is pretty old these days and it would have been great to to have seen him in like, honestly, it would have actually kind of broken Casino Royale if they brought John Cleese in as a. You think so? Yeah, no, I think that would have broken the tone they were going for completely. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, the, the if original... They, if they had not introduced Q at all in in that one, and then in the one following Casino Royale, maybe bring John Cleese in, it would have made sense. But, like, John Cleese, like, you don't bring him in for, like, the series Bond. <laughs> all right, so the, the original Q, or what I think is the original Q, because in the first one it was uh, Peter Burton. Yeah. Uh, from 63 to 99, Desmond Llewellyn. 63 to 99? Yep. Jesus Christ. Uh, was, he's an incredible Q. He was the best. And he, he coined the phrase, like, I don't think so, 007. Or like, uh, no, 007, that's my lunch. <laughs> Like the the which is like the the fun in joke of like you're watching a Bond movie, but this guy is like having some fun with it. And yeah, which is the fun part of bringing like the Monty Python. Uh, fun, well, no, which which is why of, like Ju- John Cleese, like John Cleese, only got to do uh, two movies as the solo queue. Yeah, and he was uh, I I did. I did definitely enjoy his parts because, like, it's fucking uh, John Cleese. Oh, no, I take that back. He only got to do one movie as the solo queue. Only one? Only the last one? Yep. Yeah, because uh, he, he started in 99 as R um, and then became Q in 2002 with uh, Die Another Day. 
But like at the same time, if you're going for a total tonal shift, you can't keep the same cue. No, but like the, Bond didn't need the tonal shift. But they could keep the same M because like their role well, is no, because be, M, M, isn't, M is the serious like, one. Yeah, it's not a comedic role. Yeah. And that that like that was like one of the, my favorite things about like is that they decided to keep Judy Dench for Casino Royale even if it just made this timeline and everything make no sense at all. Yep. I think that's smart and I think that's a, a plan they should keep going. If they want to keep like another actor from this fran- like from this uh if they want to keep the current Q for whatever reason or like they definitely have to keep the current M. No matter what they do, even if they go jump back to the 70s, I feel they have to they should keep the characters even if it makes no sense. Well, and so the the new the new Q uh Ben Winshaw. Yeah. Uh, with, who, um, didn't come back into the series until Daniel Craig was like, where the fuck is Hugh? Was he missing from a movie? Uh, both Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. I thought he was in Casino Royale. Nope. Because there was like a gadget guy in Casino Royale. It was not, uh, it was not Q. I assumed he was like Q. Nope. And, and he just was like. They th- did not have a quartermaster in either of those movies. Did they bring the guy, a guy back? And that was another thing I was really pissed about. Did they bring him back as Quartermaster then? Nope. Somebody new came back? Yep. Ben Winshaw became, uh, Wishaw became Q in Skyfall. Shit. Because there was a gadget guy, but he wasn't called Q. Yep. No, but he wasn't actually a gadget guy. There was very few gadgets in, uh, it was like normal gadgets that you would I know. I, I, got, I got very upset about that when we saw it. I remember that. I assumed he was Q. I guess I was wrong. I don't know, like, I, I, I've always been a fan of Bond movies because of, they, they have a certain whimsicalness to them. And it felt like the Craig era, we lost that. And at the same time, I can see, like, why they decided to go that route. And they just didn't do a good job for most of the time. Oh, shit, I didn't realize Eva Green uh, played Besser Lind. I've totally forgot about that. I haven't seen this movie in such a long time. Casino Royale and I guess Condom Solace, she was in there a little bit. Yep. Yeah, and flashbacks. Yeah. We, I I need to do a Bond rewatch, I think. Yeah, I, and like it's the, it's the season for it just because I grew up watching like having like Spike TV as a channel and like they would do like the, the marathons of Bond during well, like, the Well, in like time. the middle of the summer for me, like uh, it was on ABC they would do like the like the countdown of like the best Bond things, and that's weird. They would do that during the summer because like I always picture it as winter, just because it feels like if you're gonna be stuck for a while inside. Oh, they they uh, ABC was looking uh, to fill a programming block where they didn't have anything to put in uh, there. Makes sense on uh, weekends on the sun and during the summer when nobody's watching anything. Yeah. Spike TV was like, eh, whatever. We don't have good programming, anyways. Right. All right, well, should we get the fuck out of here? Yeah, I think we've talked for more than we should have probably about James Bond. All right, well, I have to get to, uh, I have to, get to trivia. <laughs> oh, that's the wrong button. I got to hit that button. That's the one. All right, guys, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindestudios.com, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindestudios. Follow us on Twitter at blindestudios, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Baba Booey.